church, I think I stood, almost stood up three times, and it wasn't because of transitions, but because of the, the music and the words that go with those tunes. As we continue in worship, would you pray with me before we turn to God's Word? Father, you are good, and we have sung of our desire to glorify you. And Father, we've heard the song, as Gorky and Irma just played, of all of the different medleys in which words proclaim that is, there's joy joy down in our hearts. Father, and this joy is not something that Satan can take away from us. So God, as we turn to the source of this joy in which you have revealed yourself to us, Jesus, God the Son, the living Word, might we as we study your written Word allow your Spirit to speak to us. Father, would your Spirit speak through me? Would you guard Error, Father, from my lips and allow what we hear be that which you desire so that we might more fully appreciate the union that we have with Christ, we who are your children. And for those who do not know Christ, God, we pray that you would open hearts today. As Paul says, the word heard being the means by which you have determined to save for your glory again through Jesus. And so we pray these things together in his glorious name. Amen. Amen. So, I realize that I am not old in relation to some, but regrettably, and I say regrettably, I am getting to that point where my interactions are more frequently being responded to by the younger generation with a respect that I would have normally reserved for the aged. When I'm referenced these days as Mr. Morgan, or Sir, that's my father, while my sinful heart loves such expressions of respect, they also reveal my age, as do my memories of days when travel in and through unknown regions required a map, paper map. There was no such thing as MapQuest. In fact, there was no internet. There was no, if you got lost and your map reading failed, there was no Googling going on. In fact, there was no full disclosure, cell phones, there were no texting or, or calling for that matter. So yes, I lived in the days of dinosaurs, and I know many of you know they are dangerous days, were they not? I have memories that I guess you could call fond of our family zipping through Johannesburg with my dad at the wheel, because yes, we did have cars back then, and no, they weren't made out like caveman cars, like the Flintstones. For those of you who don't know, that was a caveman cartoon, which I'm sure many of our millennials have never seen, but I remember the tension that such travel always held, because my dad would be flying along like a true Los Angelian, I mean, just whizzing along. Mom was interpreting the uh, the map with one eye. Her second eye was then keeping eye on all of the cars that dad was tailgating with her other eye watching her sons in the back who were hanging onto the handrails, because back then you didn't have to wear a seatbelt in the back seat of the car. And yet, Despite the primitive nature of our pilgrimages, we still reached our destinations, and we did make great memories in the process. And then technology came along, and I remember uh, traveling with a tom-tom. And no, that's not a Native American drum that you used to beat for echolocation. No, as many of you know, that's one of those first GPSs. And I remember how hard those suckers were to understand. Do you remember how difficult? I mean, they gave you the information, but it seemed like they didn't give you nearly enough time to respond. It seems as if they'd always give you about a half second before you had to actually do what they were calling you to do. And now today, 
Things are much improved. In fact, many people, I believe, nowadays don't even have a Garmin, you know, because their phone or their car even can not only find itself, park itself, protect itself, but it can direct itself. Church, we live in a day where our daily travel is overseen purposefully, protectively, and plainly, like we talked about with our children. And yet, when it comes to the ultimate journey, which is life, many still attempt to navigate like their supposed Precambrian ancestors, blind. And church, that's not how we're to run this race that God has set before us. Because as we're going to see together this morning, God leads his people with purpose, protection, and he does so plainly. So if you have your Bibles, would you open them with me to the book of Exodus and find chapter 13, Exodus 13, and specifically verse 17. And if you don't have a Bible, there are some there in the pew in front of you, or you can find it on your phone. But last week, we examined together God's final plague upon Egypt, and we saw the Lord reveal how he judges justly and he saves graciously. And today, I believe we're going to see the truth that the God of the Bible leads his people. The God of the Bible leads his people. And I invite you to follow along as I read our text now. Exodus 13, beginning from verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they encamped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And may God bless the public reading of his word. Church, these six verses serve as the introduction to the section that if you have an NIV there, it's titled Crossing the Sea. And this is the beginning of Israel's exodus. Last week, if you are with us, we examined that God's instructions regarding his Passover, his provision for his people that would result in the fulfillment of his promise to set them free. And in verse 31 of chapter 12, we read how during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. So just as God had promised, Pharaoh's decision wasn't simply a concession. It was a demand. He drove the Israelites out. And as they departed, verse 33 of that same chapter details how the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. The exodus, long awaited, had begun. And before we comment on the nature of God's leading as revealed in the verses we just read, I'd like for us to just take a moment 
to try and appreciate what the Israelite people must have been experiencing at this point. They have lived in Egypt for over 400 years, 430 to the day they depart, we're told in chapter 12, verse 41. And now they have packed up their belongings, they've taken all that they could carry, and they are making their way to a land that not a one of them has ever seen. Can you imagine the conflict of emotions that must have marked the people? Relief to no longer be slaves, required to make bricks without rest, joy to be able to finally do as one pleased, excitement for the journey ahead and all that the new and, and the different promised, and yet uncertainty at all that lay before them, the unknown, sadness at having to leave the familiar and all of the memories tied to one's place in the past. I would imagine that, that there were a great range of responses as the people packed their possessions and began to follow Moses and Aaron to the promised land. And it's here as God begins to lead that I believe we see him reveal how he leads. He leads his people purposefully. The God of the Bible leads his people purposefully. Because notice what we're told there in verse 17. Our text reads, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Clearly God knew, as did Moses who recorded the proceedings, that the shortest road to Canaan from Egypt lay through the Philistines' territory. However, God didn't lead the people in that direction. Despite the fact that he promised them back in chapter 3 and verse 17 to bring them up out of their misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. No, God clearly has a purpose for all that he does, and we're going to see that in a moment. But before we do, I believe we need to acknowledge as fact that God leads purposefully. And, and it's easy for us in the moment, in this morning's setting, to say, yeah, yeah, I get that. Sitting on the outside, it is easy for us to be objective. We who are familiar with the story and know what's to come and say, yeah, of course, Andrew, of course God was leading his people here. It wasn't aimless wandering. I get that. Sure, sure, it had design. It reflected divine intent. But friends, it's a whole different matter when we're the ones sitting in the car, isn't it? You know, about four years ago, Melinda and I were visited by some very dear friends from our time spent down in Birmingham. And this couple had been in our Sunday school class. Their daughter and Elena had been very close friends. And so when we heard that they were in the Annapolis area, which is something not many of the Alabamians we know have found cause to do, we were very excited. We quickly arranged for them to come over to the shore. And so Melinda was in touch with Mary, who was the wife, and they made grand plans for our time together. And so come the day of their arrival, you know, you can imagine, we were really excited. And I remember I was here at church when Melinda called me to let me know that they'd just left. And it was about 1, 1.30 in the afternoon, no later, and uh, they were headed across the bridge, and they told us, we'll keep you abreast of our trip because we'd warned them, summertime, you know, traffic might be pretty hectic. Well, 5 o'clock came, and they still hadn't arrived. And Melinda and I were surprised, but we weren't anxious yet because we know summer traffic can be terrible. If somebody has an accident on the bridge, well, you could sit for hours. But by 6 o'clock, we were beginning to be concerned. So Melinda texted them, and we were quickly reassured that everything's fine, we're getting close, and we have a story to tell. <laughs> By 7, 
they finally made it. And we, I couldn't wait to hear what had happened because the trip that should have only taken them about an hour and 15, 30 minutes, depending, ended up taking them almost six hours. And as soon as they got out of the car, you could tell something had happened. I mean, Mary wasn't angry, but she clearly was unimpressed with her man. And he had this look of shame, a dog, his ears down. I mean, his eyes showed embarrassed to defeat. And so I quickly asked, I was like, Chris, what happened, man? What, what in the world goes on? And he told me, well, we've been following the GPS. Every time we got out onto 50, and he said, we neared the bridge, it told me to exit. He said, and I'm unfamiliar with the area, so I followed my GPS. I exited, and it seemed to drive me through neighborhoods, and then suddenly I found myself back out on 50. But as I got closer and closer to the bridge, I was told to exit again. And so I did this time a different way and drove through the neighborhoods only to find myself back out on 50. He said, I did this for what seemed like a couple hours, and finally I pulled over and realized my GPS had been preset for no toll roads. He said, my GPS could not figure how to get me across the bridge. The only way to get to the shore all along. That man was being led purposefully. But sitting in his car, he could not make sense of where he was going. And isn't church, isn't that often how God's leadership in our lives feels? We find our, ourselves facing situations. They just don't make sense. We've obeyed. We may have even been affirmed in our obedience by our church family. And yet when we get to the bridge, it seems like we get directed to exit. Doesn't make sense. No sense at all. And I'm certain that the Israelites would have known the shortest route to Canaan. I mean, if not all of them, at least some of them. And so as they turned away from Canaan, they must have questioned God's direction. Why? Why would God be leading us away from the shortest route. And it's here that I believe we see a truth regarding God's purposeful leadership, and that is it isn't all about expedience. God's purposes for, uh, for us are like his character, which as we've seen together is so much higher, grander, glorious than our own. We tend to take the shortcut, don't we? The simple route. We tend to, 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 to take the time saver, but that's not the determining factor in God's decision making, is it, church? Joseph was a slave and then a prisoner slave for almost 20 years before God's purpose for him was realized and he became the prime minister of Egypt. Moses, as we've seen together, shepherded in the desert for 40 years before God came and had him lead the people out of Egypt. God's leading Purposeful leading isn't always about expedience, nor is it about ease. And that's a second truth that I believe we see revealed by the direction that God leads Israel. If God had been going off of the people's comfort level, then to direct the boat out into the wilderness was a no-go. And yet that's exactly what we see in church. This is a point that I know that we have made together previously, but I believe we so quickly forget. God cares for us. He loves us. And he does all that he does so that we might come to know him and glorify him as he is. But this does not mean that our lives will be free from pain and suffering, as have been the experiences of a number in our family in recent months. Remember, in the story as we've examined it to this point, Israel's circumstances grew worse following Moses' initial declaration of God's desire for Pharaoh. You know, following Moses' liberation message, things got worse, much worse for Israel as God revealed himself to be Lord 
over Pharaoh and all of Egypt. But in the end, he fulfilled his promise, didn't he not? And he led the people out and set them free. God's purpose isn't always about expedience or ease, but it is always about his glory. And do you know this God this morning? Have you experienced his leading? Because God leads his people purposefully and he leads them protectively. And this is the point that develops the previous, I believe, as it reveals a reason behind God's purposeful guidance. So would you look back at chapter 13 and verse 17 in the second half in particular? The second half of verse 17, for there it reads, For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Church, what I believe we see here is God leading his people protectively, and he's doing so in two senses. First, God is leading his people in such a way as to protect them from things other than themselves. God is leading his people in such a way as to protect them from things other than themselves. Because here it is that the Philistines are reflected, or rather it's this, the Philistines as reflected here by that statement that they were going to travel through their country. If they traveled through their country, they might face war. Now, historians have not yet uncovered any records displaying the military strength of Philistia at this time. However, we know that come the Promised Land's conquest some 40 years later, even, even at Joshua's death, their territory, the Philistines' territory, remained unconquered. Further, there are records of their attacking, Philistines attacking Egypt shortly after Israel entered the land. And so, at least at that stage, the Philistines saw themselves as Egypt's equals. So here, God, in his wisdom, directs his people out of harm's way. And Friends, I would imagine that we could all share stories of God's protective leading in our lives. I remember as I was growing up, we had a very popular, popular camp for young boys that I'd often expressed a desire to attend to my parents, and it just seemingly never happened. And so as you can imagine, for whatever the reasons, be it my parents or others, dates just didn't work out, and I was genuinely disappointed. However, years later, it was discovered that leadership at that camp had abused scores of children throughout the years. Now, I could never have known the dangers that I faced. And yet, I firmly believe that God led me protectively away from that experience. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Now, I realize at the same time, it does beg the question as to why, why weren't others offered the same protection that I received? And I know the answer is not because of anything innate in me. I wasn't any more special than anyone else and therefore deserving of God's protection. What God did, He did by His grace and for His glory. And so all I can do is give Him thanks. But have you ever considered how God's protective leadership has been evidenced in your life? Church, God protects us from things other than ourselves. He also protects us from ourselves. And this is the second sense in which I believe we see God's protective leadership expressed. As our text reveals God's concern that if the Israelites faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Isn't that an interesting insight? If they experienced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Do you remember how we mentioned earlier the range of emotions that must have afflicted the people? And it's here that I believe we see the reality of that evidence because from an idealist's perspective, a freed slave would never long for their old life of slavery, would they? 
I mean, who, who would want to return to captivity, to a life of servitude and, and of suffering? And yet, as the scriptures make clear, God knows us better than we even know ourselves. Therefore, God knew that the people wouldn't keep his covenant moving forward in the Exodus, just as Jesus knew that Peter would deny him three times, no less. And so as God led his people out of slavery, he purposefully led them away from the Philistines because he knew the weaknesses of their hearts. God led the people into the wilderness to protect them from themselves. Have you ever experienced God protect you from yourself? You know, I recall when I was in high school, our youth group went out on a, a weekend camp and during that weekend I participated in a whole host of activities that would never take place in an American context today unless you had a, a, a stack of insurance waivers probably that high and even then many of the activities wouldn't have been allowed and I've forgotten most of them but there's one incident that has stayed with me until this very day and we'd gone out on a drive from our campsite which was on a farm and so we were just driving through the bush and we'd crossed we're looking for water holes so we could go swimming and we crossed this swollen river on this bridge and as we did so our driver our camp leader stopped and he asked if anybody would be interested in testing the depth of the water. And so I raised my hand and on his urging climbed up onto the top of the pickup truck. And then without thinking, I just dove off. Only contrary to any dive I could ever remember having done prior to that point, I went feet first. And it wasn't that I was a daredevil. I didn't try to do flips or anything. I just recalled that sobering feeling when I hit the water and realized it was less than a foot deep. I mean, I, I was a teenager. And I still remember that feeling of, of, of shock at what might have happened. What did just happen? Why didn't I do what I've always done to this point and how, how God had protected me? I firmly believe that God protected me in that moment from myself. But friends, that's a, that's a physical example. How much more significant are the spiritual realities that every single one of us here who is called a Christian has experienced this protection. Because the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that we were all, every one of us, dead in our transgressions and sins. Following the ways of the world, we were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Our hearts hated God. We were enemies of God. We wanted nothing to do with him. And were we to have gotten our way, that which we willed each and every one, then we would have received God's just wrath, just as did Pharaoh. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, protected us from ourselves as he made us alive in Christ Jesus. He led us out of darkness into wonderful light. He changed our hearts, as Ezekiel describes. So now we want, we desire, we thirst after that which we otherwise never would have desired. Has God led you in this way this morning? Oh, I pray that he has. Because the God of the Bible leads his people purposefully, protectively, but he also leads his people plainly. And I'm certain the manner in which I'm employing this adverb plainly will be clear when we read the text from which its point is drawn. And so would you look back with me there in chapter 13 to verse 20? Verse 20, which reads, After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day... The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light. So they could travel by day or night. 
Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Can you see why I'm describing God's leading here as plain? Merriam-Webster gives the meaning of plain as evident to the mind or senses. Obvious. <laughs> I should think that a pillar of cloud would be pretty plain to all but those who couldn't see. And even those couldn't miss the heat radiating from a pillar of fire. In both instances, the mind and the senses could not mistake the presence of God as he went before his people. And this is what these pillars were doing, is it not? The cloud and the fire both went ahead of the people, so all that remained for Israel to do was what? Follow. It's just like one great, glorious GPS. And it provided Israel, I believe, with comfort. With comfort. Now, we aren't told whether the cloud offered shade during the day. I doubt that it did, because Moses tells us that it remained ahead of the people, not overhead. However, that pillar of fire most certainly would have emitted heat and light, both of which are comforting to one who's experiencing the, the cold and the dark of a desert night. And therefore, I believe God's leadership here clearly comforted His people, both physically as well as psychologically. Because just, just think to know that God is there. This is the God who destroyed all of Egypt's deities. What did Israel have to fear with the knowledge that the God of the Bible was there? And friends, how comforting is it for us to know we have been promised this very same presence. As Jesus commissioned his disciples, he closed with this commitment. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, just in case you wanted to interpret always in a funky way. And then Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, reminded them that they had been marked with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, we who are Christ's followers, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of whose glory? His glory. And this Holy Spirit is the same Spirit of truth whom Jesus promised would come and lead His followers into all truth. And that's a leading He brings about as He speaks Christ's words to us. And we have these very words, don't we, church? It's called the Bible. And we have this very spirit, we who are Christ's followers. Isn't that a comfort this morning? That God's leading provides comfort? And it also gives us certainty. God's leading gives us certainty. The Israelites, they would have been hard-pressed, I think, to find themselves off course or unsure as to the direction that God was headed. Between a cloud and the fire, we're told, never left their place in front of the people. Certainty in regards to direction, at least to me, seems a given. It was a guaranteed. And friends, I believe that we may share the certainty of Israel in regards to God's leading today. And let me explain why. Because if your life has been anything like mine, then I would imagine you've often struggled in this regard, haven't you? You've often asked the question, what would Jesus have me do? God, what would you have me do? Where should I study? What should I study? Should I date who should I date? Should I marry this person? And if so, how do I know? Where would you have me go to church, God, and why? What, what do you want me to do with the talents that you've given me? And a host of other questions, correct? And so to hear Andrew say, well, you know what? You can have clarity and certainty. It just seems far too simplistic. But church, it is simple. Unfortunately, we're the ones who complicate things. Because remember, what questions did God's presence as a pillar of cloud and fire, answer for the people. What questions? 
Did he answer specifics like when they were going to get to the promised land? Did he answer specifics like, why are we taking this roundabout route? Or even, when are we going to stop and camp for the night? And the answer is clearly no. All that God's leading provided the people with was what they needed to take the next step. And church, I believe that God's leading ensures us of this same certainty because the psalmist wrote, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Church, in God's word, we are given all the truth we need to faithfully follow him in the steps that we take. We may not have, and I would argue most often will not have all of the answers, but what we do know is that God is before us. And therefore, if we fail to live in obedience in accordance with God's words, then we can be sure we are not headed in the correct direction. And as God's children, we can be guaranteed that we will be corrected. But as we do what Jesus said, because he stated, if you love me, you will obey me, then we will always be right in the middle of God's will. And to this point, to this point, as we consider Israel's circumstances, don't forget the fact that God's will had them where? headed into the middle of the desert and on a path prohibiting them from any escape should Pharaoh pursue them. And, and despite the manner in which the NIV there renders that last sentence in verse 18, they were completely unarmed. The literal translation of that verse is that the Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt organized by fifties. And the fifties there is simply a reference to the smallest military unit of the day. And, and so they were not armed, as it might suggest. And, and this makes sense. Just if you think about it, consider their lives to this point. As slaves, they would have never been permitted to own weapons. And those are not the things that we read about them taking as plunder, are they? And so as Israel followed the Lord, their situation appeared to make little sense. It was very uncomfortable. And yet it was right where God wanted them. And friends, it might be that your life circumstances resemble those of Israel here. Maybe you've been set free from a situation and the hope for destination appears to be right over there and yet it feels for whatever reason that God is leading you in the opposite direction. You know, or possibly you've been in the desert for a while. You've been there. And you've been asking the Lord, why? I feel like I'm going around in circles. Why? If this, if this is how you feel this morning, I pray that you've been encouraged. As we've seen together, how the God of the Bible leads his people purposefully with protection, and he does so plainly. But it might also be this morning that you've realized as we've been talking, I'm not living in obedience to God's word. I don't even know what it is. I don't care about it. Maybe my family does, but that's just not for me. And you've been living according to your own plans and all the while hoping that you can garner God's blessing. Well, I hope that you've realized that this simply will not work. That is an entirely subjective way of looking at life, and if you believe that's true, then, then you hope when you get to heaven that you have a reason that's greater than that of God's to allow you to enter. But I hope you can see this doesn't work. And for those who may have felt this way and are not feeling the conviction of God's Spirit or are under the correction of God's Word, then it's likely in the analogy that's here, you've never left Egypt. And while you might consider yourself to be free, I would argue that your life of sin suggests otherwise. Friend, if this is you this morning, then as we close, I urge you to repent. 
Would you admit your sin? Believe that Jesus is God's Son sent to save you because there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we may be saved. Friends, the God of the Bible leads His people. And so I pray that He would lead some to salvation today. Would you pray with me as we close? God, You are good. Lord, our lives are filled with questions. You as a God who has all knowledge. You know exactly what we're facing. Lord, and we may have an experience in which we find ourselves that makes no sense. But if we're your children living in obedience to your word, who have been filled by your spirit, then we can know that where we are is right in the middle of where you desire we be. And that's not so that we have a life of ease, but it's so you are most glorified in us. And those who are watching, witnessing us journey through that wilderness, so to speak, will be led, as was Egypt, and, and Pharaoh with them, to acknowledge Yahweh is God. Lord, would you give encouragement this morning to any who are in that same place? Father, remind them of your faithfulness, that despite what their circumstances suggest, you have not abandoned your people. You know what lies ahead, and therefore the path that they are on have been sovereignly ordained by you. At the same time, God, we recognize that we are sinful people, and often we find ourselves in situations that are the result of our own disobedience. Father, for that we ask your forgiveness. And if that is where we are, God, this morning, even if there are questions that we're battling with, we would pray for your conviction in our lives. For it might be that where we are is the result of our own sin, the consequences of decisions that we've made. And God, we ask forgiveness. We ask for your healing. And we ask for your enabling. Because we know that in your grace, God, you don't remove consequences but you teach us through them as you redeem us in them. That brings you glory from them. And Father, if there's one today, any today, who have no interest, whose hearts have been closed, but having heard this morning, have had a change, inexplicable, a sensitivity maybe, God, to what is truth, we pray that you would fan that flame. God, there might be a desire for repentance and to believe in Jesus. For as Peter told the crowds that were gathered in Jerusalem, believe in Jesus, repent and be baptized, and you will have eternal life. This is our prayer, God, this morning for any who have not yet experienced it. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.